0: Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message, or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, church family. My name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks, Heidi. And if you have a Bible, please open it with me to Ephesians, chapter 6. Ephesians, chapter 6. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 4, and what we're going to do is I'm going to read this passage, and then I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord, and then you can all reply, thanks be to God, and then I'm going to pray. So Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 4. Here we go. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, your word is a gift. Your word is powerful. You spoke and light came into existence. You spoke. You make things. Your word speaks and makes us new. So Father, I pray this morning that we would be made new because of your word. That your spirit would show us the beauty of your grace, the victory of Jesus and the gospel and how grace transforms us. That no one in here would think this is a gathering of just moral people, of just do-gooders. But we are broken people looking to you and to see how your grace can transform us. That's all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What kind of relationship do you have with your parents? Do you get along with your parents? Do you only see them at Thanksgiving and Christmas and that's kind of a chore? Or do you never see them at all? What kind of relationship do you have with your parents? Maybe you sued them and it became an international story. Maybe not, but that's what happened to Raphael Samuel. Samuel is a 27-year-old business executive who lives in Mumbai, and he made headlines internationally earlier this year for suing his parents. Uh, And it wasn't just that he sued his parents, which is what gained all this attention. It was the reason he sued his parents. Uh, Raphael Samuel brought a lawsuit against his parents, uh, and this is what he claims. He says that, you brought me into this world without my consent. And so he's suing his parents. And he likens it, kind of like the heart of his argument is this, like, look, if I was just minding my own business, and I got kidnapped, and somebody took me to a country where there was war, where there was famine, where there was suffering, and made me work against my will, I would sue that person, and I would win. That's exactly what mom and dad did to me. And he recognizes, like, look, it's ridiculous to say that uh, you could get your kids' consent before they're born. He's of sound mind. Um, but he's saying, like, look, you shouldn't have had me at all. That wasn't fair. That wasn't right. And his parents, ironically, are actually both lawyers. Uh, and they've said that they've handled this with a, a good spirit, that they've handled it with humor. So they told the BBC, like, look, we love our son, but we're going to absolutely destroy him in court. <laughs> And just in case you're wondering, because some of Raphael's critics say that he's just doing this for publicity, but he's totally serious. Um, And he says he has a good relationship with his parents, but both he and his parents have had to admit that this has been a little tumultuous. His mom actually said to him, like, look, I wish I had met you before you were born so that I I would know you and I wouldn't have actually had you. Raphael, he's posted online, he says things like this. He says to his followers, your parents had you. Your parents had you instead of a toy or a dog. You owe them nothing. You are their entertainment. So he can say he has a really good relationship with his parents, but I think it's pretty clear he's not really big fans of their work. And look, while this is totally ridiculous and no judge is going to hear this case and no lawyer has picked up uh, Raphael yet, it's ridiculous, but it does scratch at a deeper reality. It scratches at a truth that each one of us experience with our parents. It scratches at this idea that Raphael, what he's saying to his parents is look, you used me to get what you really wanted. I'm your entertainment. You wanted a good life, and that included having a kid. I didn't sign up for that. You're using me to get at what you want. And what he's scratching at is a truth that impacts all of our relationships with our parents and with our kids. And this is the idea that we have two competing desires. We have what parents want and we have what kids want. And how do, who wins in that battle? W- what happens oftentimes is that we don't actually, we don't even know we're fighting this battle and we go to war. And so we, we sometimes just try to like merge those two things together. Okay, I'll take what this kid wants. I want a well-behaved kid. This kid wants an Xbox. So I'll use the Xbox to get the well-behaved kid. And really, not, no transformation has happened. Really, what's just happened is that we're using what they want to get what we want. The passage that we just read gives hope to families. There is hope in the gospel for parents and for kids. There is good news for parents and kids. The message of the gospel is that Jesus comes and makes all things new. That doesn't just stop with individuals. Jesus transforms our relationship. There is hope for parents and there is hope for kids. This relationship doesn't have to be business as usual. It can be totally recreated and transformed. So kids and parents no longer have to compete with each other for what the other wants. Kids and parents can go from competing, they can go from battle, they can go from war, to working together. This, the, the, the truth of this passage is this. Kids and parents can now work together, because of the gospel, to experience redemption in each other's lives. You can work together to experience redemption in each other's lives. Kids! If you're in here and you're a kid, Paul's saying you matter. You matter in the story of redemption. You play an important role in your parents' lives. You can help them experience redemption. He says you do this by putting trust on display. Kids help their parents experience redemption by putting trust on display. And parents, parents, we help our kids experience redemption by modeling God's gracious authority to them. We model his gracious authority to them. So kids, let's talk first. How on earth do we do this? Before we get at the heart of what Paul's saying, we just need to pause for a second and point out how amazing it is that he's talking to kids. Uh, The Roman Empire is not that much different from the world we live in today. Right now, kids, uh, everybody likes kids, we think about kids, we talk about kids, but you really are kind of pushed off to the side. Uh, there was a viral video a couple weeks ago of a very prominent politician. She was confronted by a group of teenagers. And like, she didn't know how old they were when they started talking. And so they brought this political cause to her. Hey, we want you to, to throw your support in on this cause. And so she's kind of justifying why she doesn't care about it. And then she stops and says, wait, how old are you guys anyway? And they're like, we're 16. And she literally says, oh, you didn't vote. I don't care. And yeah, well, yeah. Ooh. It went viral. And so look, th- that's, that's the same thing how it was in the Roman Empire. Uh, in the Roman Empire, it was under a system called pater familia. So the dad ran things. If you, unless you were super rich, if you were just like the rest of us, dad ran things, wives didn't really have a say, kids didn't have a say, slaves didn't have a say. How does Paul end this letter? He talks to wives, he talks to kids, and he talks to slaves. He's saying those of you whom society says don't matter, who we've pushed out to the edges, you play a central and important role in this story of redemption. It's not just afterthought. Like, Paul, if you hear this, children obey your parents, you're probably hearing this going, great, thanks, Paul. (laughs) Paul didn't write that to say, hey, parents, watch this, I'll... I'll help you enjoy restaurants again. Do you not like eating out because your kid's a monster? Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. That's not why this is in your Bible. This is in your Bible because he's helping you get captured in the story of redemption. Those three important words in here help us understand why Paul is saying this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Those are three really, really important words. It doesn't just mean obey your parents if they're Christians. Only obey parents in the Lord. That's not what he's saying. That phrase, in Christ, has been littered all over the book of Ephesians. It's mentioned like, almost like 11 times just in chapter 1. Just in Christ. We're in Christ. We're in Christ. And he's saying this. Children, obey your parents in Christ. What does that mean? It means that when God the Father now looks at people who trust his son, he sees his son. So when children obey their parents in the Lord, we are, we are in Christ. We are walking where he walked. We're not just copying him, but we're experiencing what he experienced. And, and the point of that is you're learning trust, just like Jesus did. Jesus was in a garden, talking to his father, saying, Not my will, but yours. He came to rescue, and now that rescue leaves him on the edge of death. That doesn't make a ton of sense. And if you're a kid living at home, it, I don't know what age it is, but you hit an age where you figure out, I don't really think mom and dad know what's going on. Like, I don't think they get it right every single time. And it doesn't make sense. And Paul's saying this, when you obey... You are experiencing what Jesus experienced. And when you do that, you're helping your parents, you're helping them experience redemption because they get to see Jesus on display in your obedience. You're, You're helping them learn trust. Look, this is not just about moral behavior. This is not just about like, hey, fit this standard. This is about you experiencing the gospel by living it out in front of your parents church is not a place where you come kids to learn to be better people. Like, I need to say that really loud and clearly. This is not a gathering of good people who are just helping other people be good people. Your relationship with your parents is intentional. It's by design, and it's to help you Experience the gospel, and it's to help your parents see and experience the gospel. And look, he's not just giving parents like a blank check. Parents, we're sinners. We don't always get it right. And it's not like Paul is saying this like, hey, look, as a kid, you have to obey your parents, and then don't worry, it works itself out, because then one day you'll be an adult and you'll get to boss people around. It's just this cycle. This is not business as usual. This is about a total transformation. It's about learning trust. It's about experiencing Jesus by walking in the way he walked. And it comes with a promise. And so we need to unpack that next. Because Paul then points at the Ten Commandments to kind of hold all this together. To prove his point. This is what he says. Honor your father and your mother for this is uh, this is the first commandment with a promise. So think about how he's motivating. He's pointing to a promise, not a threat. Obey your parents. It comes with a promise. What's that promise? That it may be well with you and you may live long in the land. This is commandment number five. And what Paul's pointing to is just this whole body of what the Ten Commandments points to. So I don't know if this keeps you up at night. These are the kind of things that keep me up at night. But have you ever wondered why there are ten commandments no? this Just me that does that? Okay. Why aren't there one commandment? Why, isn't, why aren't there a hundred commandments? Why ten? Is that random? No. In the, uh, the ten commandments are echoing back like crazy to Genesis 1 and 2. And in Genesis 1 and 2, God speaks. God said, uh, let there be light. God said, let's separate the water. God said, let's bring dry ground out of this water. And God said, and God said, and God said... And God said. You count those up, God speaks ten times. In Genesis 1 and 2, God speaks ten times and makes the world. And then now, he's, re- he's rescued a people from slavery, and he speaks ten times and makes a people. What the Ten Commandments are saying is like, look, life with God, it was, it was thought to be lost. But he's not abandoned us. He's rescuing. He's working to redeem and recreate us. And that's what the Ten Commandments point to. But then this specific commandment points to something even deeper. It says, Honor your father and mother so that it will go well with you, and so that you may live long in the land. Well, how does that echo back to Genesis? Uh, The Hebrew word for honor is the word kavod. Kavod. And the word for kavod, it means weight. It means heaviness. It also means honor or glory. And so the, the way you honor someone is by recognizing the weight that that person has. So we honor or glorify God because he is the weightiest. He is the heaviest. Well, there was a time when Adam and Eve were in a land and they did not give weight to God's word. They gave weight to their own understanding of a situation. Did God really say, yeah, but like, I, you know, I think he said this. And then what happened? Did it go well for them? No. Did they get to live long in that land? No. And so even in bringing up this promise, Paul is pointing to, look, by obeying and honoring your parents, it's an act of learning to trust. Parents don't know what's going on all the time. And oftentimes it feels like we're making things up as we go. And if you're on the receiving end of that, that can be hard. So like if you're in this room, if you're 18 and you're going to move out of your house this week, or you're eight and you have a, a few more weeks before you move out of the house, I guarantee you that your parents between now and when you move out of the house, are, they're going to ask you to do something that doesn't make sense to you. I have no idea why I need to shut off the Nintendo Switch and go outside. It's cold. I don't want to do this. What it means for children to obey their parents in the Lord is this. It doesn't necessarily mean you're just doing what your mom and dad tell you. You're obeying your parents in the Lord. There's a greater reality you're pointing toward. You're saying, look, okay, this doesn't make sense to me. I have no idea why I can't eat from this tree. But I'm going to give a lot of weight to what God says. I have no idea why, but I trust him. And he's telling me that right now it's good for me to listen to my mom and dad. Okay. And when you do that, the result is, maybe not the first time, but you start to blow your parents socks off. Like, kids, if you've ever been out in public, kids that That disobey, uh, stand out. But do you know what stands out even more? Kids that obey. People are like, what's wrong with this child? Amy and I were watching a show last week and uh, one of the characters in the show was a little kid. He was super sweet and it freaked everybody out. Like, is he like a serial killer? Like, what's wrong with this kid? Right? You stand out. Not to say, hey, look at me. I'm moral. Christianity is just about just doing these things. You point to a greater reality. And look, no one in this room needs more burdens. This is not a burden to add on to an already demanding life that you have, kids. This comes with a promise. Paul's not motivating obedience with threats. He's not saying obey or else. That's not a tool in his toolbox. He's saying, look, obey. There's a promise that comes with this. And this whole idea, maybe you're sitting here and you're like, well, this half of the sermon wasn't for me. I'm an adult. Well, the word for children actually, uh, it doesn't have to do with your age. It just means like your relationship to someone. Everyone in this room then is a child. Whether you know them or not, we all have parents. And so the command if you are in your parents' household is to obey. But For the rest of us, for those of us who don't live at home anymore, the command isn't to obey, the command is to honor. So like, if you're 30, don't live at home, and your parents tell you to do something, you don't need to obey them. You need to honor them. What does that look like? What does that mean? It means you give weight to what they say. Like a really practical way to do that is just call your parents and say, Hey, Mom and Dad, I'm walking through this decision. I have this thing in front of me. I would love to hear what you have to say. Ask for their input. Listen without defensiveness. Thank them and let them know that what they said impacts your decision. You don't have to do it, but it needs to have weight in how you make decisions. As an adult child, when you do that with your parents, not the first time, maybe not even the second or third but if you keep doing that, you're giving them, you're pointing to a greater reality for them. You're helping them understand a different side of what Jesus is like. Some of you adults in here, adult children, you don't need to call your parents and ask for input. What it looks like for you to honor your parents might be to like spread your wings a little bit. You're 40, you still live in the basement, haven't bought anything on your own. Honor your father and mother, get an apartment. Okay. Some of you, though, this is going to mean making a phone call. Some of this might mean like, hey, reaching out to a parent you haven't spoken to in a while. This, I mean, the, the command for children is very narrow. Obey. But for us adult children, there's freedom. It's broad. Honor. And it's going to take wisdom to know what honoring your parents looks like in your specific situation. Parents. How do we help our kids experience redemption? How do we point to the grace of Jesus in the way we parent? Well, we help our kids experience redemption by modeling God's gracious authority to them. Modeling gracious authority. Authority is not what's wrong with the world today. We live in a very power-hungry world where there are real abusers and real victims, but authority is not what's wrong with the world today. We tend to want to shy away from authority because we're afraid that we might abuse it. It's terrifying, but authority in and of itself isn't what's wrong. It's the abuse of authority. Authority is a good gift given by God to point to a greater reality. And 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 so like... Uh, Andy Crouch, he's an author who's written a lot about power. He helps, he helps us think about this by talking about the tyranny of either or. The tyranny of either or. We tend to think of life as like, you either have authority or you have grace. You either have firmness or you have warmth. But in this passage, what Paul is describing is that we need not to think of things in an either or, but of both and. We need both authority and graciousness. We need both firmness and warmth. If, as parents, we have just authority and no warmth, if we have just firmness and no grace, we are going to do what Paul says. He says in verse four: "Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Provoking your children to anger doesn't just mean like poking the bear, but it means using threats. It, it, it's it's." What's in my arsenal of weapons is just law and anger. Do what I say or else. Paul's taking that tool out of your toolbox. Threats don't work. Just authority alone doesn't work. That's not the goal. I have a good friend, Darrell. Uh, He's my age and he has a stepson who's about eight years old and is like this tall. And Darrell and I were joking, and uh, one day he's like, yeah, like, I can't tell my son what to do with threats. Because he knows really soon he's going to be taller than dad. And so it gets a little ridiculous if, like, how you've interacted, how you've learned to parent your kids is just through threats, and then all of a sudden they're bigger than you. Like, everything that you've cultivated for all these years, you, you need a new toolbox. Authority without warmth is not what Paul is saying. He's, he's actually warning against that. So being unreasonable, being unreasonably harsh, being demanding, abusive, humiliating your kids, being unfair, nagging them is out of the question. That's not what parenting shaped by the gospel looks like. It's also, though, not just warmth. So if we have warmth with no authority, that leads to enabling. It's not in this passage, but I think easily the most mistranslated verse in the Bible warns us against parenting without warmth. And it's Proverbs twenty-two six. Proverbs twenty-two six says this. Well, you've probably heard it like this. It doesn't say this. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. That's that's led to a lot of heartbreak for parents. They're like, we did everything we could. We tried our best to raise this this child, and she still grew up and just did what she wanted. What's wrong with the Bible? Nothing's wrong with the Bible. It's actually a mistranslation. Uh, That verse literally says this, train up a child according to his own way, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. What that means, another way to say that is, if your kid's out of control, and you just let them be out of control, it's just free-range parenting, no limits, when your kid's 30, that's what they're gonna be like. And so Paul is trying to say this, look, authority is not the problem and warmth is not the problem, but we can't have either or. We need to have a parenting. If we're going to model God's gracious authority in our kids' life, we need both that authority and warmth. It's like a garden. You need to water and sometimes you need to pull weeds. And the fruit of that is this idea that's found, look what he says in verse four again. Do not provoke your children to anger, but this is, but bring them up. That word bring them up, it literally means nourish. And it's used earlier in chapter 5 where Paul says no, he's talking about husbands and wives, and he says no one has ever hated his own body, but he nourishes it. When we are figure out how to marry parenting that is both authoritative and warm and gracious, we find this sweet spot that nourishes our kids and leads to flourishing. Kids need limits. Limits. And that's what he says later. He says this, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's what that idea of discipline of the Lord means. It means saying like, hey, here's a line. There's danger on the other side of the line. Don't cross. Why do kids need limits? Kids haven't yet experienced that sin is painful. What's your biggest regret? What's that thing that you just wish you'd never done? That if you could take back that one moment, that one mistake, you would take it back. See, years provide us adults with that experience. We've learned life hurts. Sin is really painful. Kids don't know that. They don't know that. They think you're trying to keep them from a good time. You've put a wall up and now... Objective number one is, how do I get over that wall? And so the idea of the discipline of the Lord, it's not saying like, hey, look like me. I want you to look like me. Here's, here's, here's how I would live life. Now you need to live like that. It's not about our preferences. Like I would prefer it if Jet and Boaz never listened to anything but Radiohead. And that they hated the Beatles they're overrated thank you yeah but that's my preference i can't i can't moralize that on my kids we can't moralize our preferences on our kids what we need to do is we need to say this is real danger and we're trying to keep you from that and like parenting now is really hard and if you don't believe me that it's a little bit different just hang out some time in the youth room with the youth kids uh, there's this thing called Reddit. There's this thing called Facebook that they've heard of everything you can talk about and they know more about it than you. And so if you're just saying, do this, and they're like, why? They have like a very rich resource in their pockets telling them all the ways that what you just told them makes no sense. This takes a lot of time. This takes a lot of patience to really help kids see like, hey, I know this may not make a ton of sense, but this is why we want to keep you from this. But real parenting that's going to nourish kids cannot just be about, here's what we're against. Don't do these things. Here's a list of things we don't like. Stay away. That's so far, that's been what a lot of Christian parenting is. That's maybe how you were raised. It's like, all these things are bad. There's things that go bump in the night. The world out there is scary. Stay away. Danger, danger, Will Robinson. That's not Christian parenting. That's fear-based parenting. That's fear-based parenting. Paul's saying, we don't just grow, raise our kids in discipline and saying here's what we're against. We also need to show them what we're for. Raising them in the instruction of the Lord. Not just what we're against, but what we're for. Capturing the beauty of life in the kingdom of God. Uh, or as the old saints used to say, building virtue. We don't just know what is right and try to do it. We want to cultivate within our kids a love For what is right, seeing what true beauty is. Christians historically have not been against pornography because they're anti sex and they're anti beauty. Christians have been against pornography because they're pro beauty. They're saying this is not beautiful. This objectifying of people and enslavement of their desires is not beautiful. Want to know what is beautiful? A husband and wife who sacrifice who who lay down their desires and their good for each other. That's beauty. Love this. And, and, and it's, look, it's what it says here. In the instruction of the Lord. We're not just here to teach kids facts about the Bible. We're not, we're not just trying to help them win at Bible trivia. At all. We're trying to say like, hey, here, here's this story and I want to invite you to get caught up in it find your place in that story. And Paul's saying, look, kids matter. Kids have a place in that story. And you can help them find that place by modeling God's authority to them. I mean, we have so many, we all, every single person in this room has baggage from their parents. No one can do this perfectly. But what this passage points to is like, hey, you need to help your kids. You need to realize that the how you treat your kids, they're going to relate that to God. Were you an absentee father? Well, it's very hard to imagine a close, near, and dear personal father when my dad was never around. And he's saying this, look, you need to model this. Like, you're, you're it. Uh, the uh, sociologist Christian Smith uh, has done decades of research on why kids leave Christianity. And one of the things that he's found, the biggest cause that he finds of like parents who are faithful and like heavily involved in church, the reason that their kids aren't, one of the biggest common denominators in those relationships is that parents don't do anything religious during the week. They don't talk about their faith. They don't try to help their kids. They don't share struggles. They don't share victories. They outsource it. They drop their kids off Sunday morning and say, look, here you go. Make them godly. We'll be back at 12.30 or when, as late as we can. Like, this isn't Ikea, okay? You can't just drop your kids off and shop. Oh, well, they don't have Ikea here. Sorry. That's been, a, that's been a hard thing. We love Ikea. Cheap, beautiful furniture. <laughs> but you can't outsource. Look, just think about it from just a time perspective. Church has a very small slice of the pie of your kid's time. And it keeps getting smaller and smaller. There There's no way, no way, if you just drop your kids off, pick them up, and expect, they got it. They figured it out. They know how to connect the world they live in to the world that God has. They got it. They don't. And if you make that assumption, statistically, you will lose your kids. Someone else will help them fill in those gaps. So do not outsource the parenting of your kids to me. Your kids will not end up godly. They'll end up cool, but they won't end up godly. (laughs) How do you do this? How do we really help our kids understand this? How do we help them experience redemption? Well, it starts with us as parents following Jesus and then just talking about that with our kids. Invite them into your struggle. Don't assume they get it. Oh, they know. They know. They don't. How can they know unless you tell them? So, like, and every day there are teachable moments. You're driving, and someone cuts you off. And you call them a not nice name. That is a beautiful, teachable moment. I'm from the East Coast. I know you people in the Midwest do that. I know you do. I know you yell at other cars. here's, Here's what, instead of just, what is... What does inviting your kid into that moment look like? Instead of just simply saying, hey, I I was angry and that was wrong. I'm sorry. Invite him in a little deeper. Say, hey, in that moment, I, I really treasured my way, my comfort, my getting places on time, my safety, and someone threatened that And I didn't value them at all, so I I lashed out against them. And I I said something demeaning to that person. I valued me and my way of doing things more than I valued that person who's in the image of God. God calls that rebellion. And I'm so sorry you saw that. And I'm a sinner, and that's why you saw that. And I need to ask God's forgiveness. That's inviting your kids into your faith. It's not just sharing your struggles, too. Share your joys. This church prays a lot together, and that's really good. We need to be a praying community. Do we celebrate what God has done, or do we just bring laundry lists to God? We say, hey, look, we prayed about this, and then look, this happened. How cool was that? I was struggling. I was thinking, oh, God's not going to do anything. He doesn't care. Look what he did. That's amazing. That's inviting your kids into your faith. And this can only really happen if we're present, one of the things that uh, Andy Crouch says is hard about raising teenagers is that parents are really only aware of half of what's going on with teenagers. And the half that parents are aware of is this idea of pushing away. So teenagers push away. They want their independence. They want their autonomy. They're saying, "Like, look, I've got this. My dad grew up in the 80s. He has no idea what's going on. I've got this. Get out. I can figure this out. Parents are aware of that. And it's hard to like get into someone's life when they're pushing you away. But as Crouch says, it's only half the picture. The other half is while they want autonomy, while they're claiming get out, they're also drawing in. They don't know what's going on, and they need you. They don't just need money. Kids today want parents' input. Don't read baby boomer baggage onto your parents. That this old generation, it's the old way of doing things, they don't know anything, we need to go create a counterculture. That's baby boomer baggage. Kids today don't think like that. Like, let your kids, they will invite you. But you must be present. If you're not around, there, there's no one to invite. If, you, if they push away and you're like, fine, I'm out of here. There's someone else's problem. There's no one to invite into that. I know that hurts. I don't have a teenager. My oldest kid is two and a half. And it hurts when he's like, go away, dad. I just picture this 18-year-old saying the same thing. I'm like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? This is hard. And that's where I think, and we'll close here. There's real life-giving power in this passage. And it's this. You're not responsible for the outcome. You're not responsible for the outcome. You're called to be faithful. You can't produce fruit in your kids. It does not say, this passage does not say, parents, make your kids obey. It says children obey. Parents, nourish. You're only responsible for the process, not the end result. That takes a tremendous burden off of you. Many of you, I know, have adult kids who are not walking in the faith. And if you climb into that rabbit hole, you can find a million reasons for why that's your fault. Oh, I should have done this. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. I should have been more present. I should have done, should have done that. We all fail. We all fail. No one's going to do this perfectly. Perfectly but we're also not responsible for the end result. We need to to trust the process and then trust the rest to God who really does care, who gave up real estate in his word. Papyrus is expensive. Okay, that's what this was written on. You had a lot of careful intentionality and he's talking to your kids. He's saying, look, I care. You matter. Trust that God with your kids and trust the process and and don't make this about you the war is over we don't have to keep battling these relationships can be recreated they're recreated by grace and they're recreated to put grace on display trust that God he's gotten us here this far let's pray Father thank you for loving broken children broken parents God, I pray that we as a community would put your redemption on display, not just adjust our behavior, not just try to be good parents to impress those around us, but that we really would see that this comes from a God who loves us, who enters into our story, and who showers his enemy with grace and transforms us. Father, I pray that that grace will be at work transforming our lives even today. In Jesus' name, amen.